0: Today on the VergeCast, James Vincent and Richard Lawler join us. We get into the GPT-3 chatbot saga, Apple's new security features, and the FTC is coming after Microsoft for buying Activision. All coming up right after this. Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking. So why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva Presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva Presentations at canva.com, designed for work.
1: This episode is brought to you by State Farm.
2: Hello and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of the Verge, where we talk about absolutely nothing and waste your time. <laughs> now the robot put an exclamation point at the end of that sentence <laughs> because you see, I asked Chat GPT three to write the intro of the show. You usually you're you're exuberant, and I said come, I said write the intro of the show, and it said, and Chat GPT three said to me, "Hello and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of the Verge." That's not, that's wrong. It's I mean it's lazy. Yeah. Uh, and so I told the robot to make it funnier and it said hello and welcome to The VergeCast where we talk about absolutely nothing and waste your time, which is the robot (laughs) fully telling me to go
3: F myself. I was like, David would do the exact same if he was here. (laughs) We basically replaced David. Yeah,
2: done. (laughs) See you later, buddy. (laughs) Anyway, this is the VergeCast. That was the first and last time we're ever going to let a chatbot write the intro. I'm your friend, Neil. Alex Kranz is here.
3: I'm your friend who doesn't believe in AI.
4: Oh, you will by the end of this episode. Oh.
3: Richard Lawler is here. Hey Richard.
4: Hey, I might be an AI.
2: <laughs> That's by the end of this episode, we're going to we're going to have to take bets. And our senior Verge reporter covering AI James Vincent is here. Hey James.
5: Hey, um I am I am pro AI. I'm pro worshiping AI and just getting <laughs> ahead of that. And, you know, that that religion that Lewandowski tried to found, I am the guy who carried that on. So you still got it. You still got it. I'm keeping the faith. (laughs) Do you
2: have uh, like a like a blue cube in your house with little electric bolts like floating around in it? You know, like one of those like AI monuments.
5: Nilo, do I have a god cube that I <laughs> that I worship daily? Jeez, man, you know that is a very insulting question to ask someone of my faith. I, I'm going to go if that's going to be the tenor of the conversation. Obviously.
2: So fair warning, Uh it is uh, I believe 9 p.m. for James in the UK, <laughs> that, and he's just I'm a drinking. Little loose.
3: He's man's <laughs> drinking.
2: Which honestly, it's you know, it's it's only 4 p.m. here in New yeah, York.
3: Yeah, we could do that. We could be drinking you next could, week. So that.
2: It's that kind of week. So we got to talk about chat GPT with James. Uh, The FTC sued Microsoft to block the Activision deal. The EU did some iPhone charging standard stuff. Elon continues to Elon. There's a bunch of stuff to talk about this week. But we have to start with chat GPT-3, which has taken the world by storm. Mm. If you don't know what it is, it is just a chat bot. Yeah. It just happens to be very good. Yeah. And... I will tell you I mean I think it's super fun to play with but the overheated
3: there's some feelings people people got <laughs> positive feelings. and negative like yeah.
2: all the way from VC saying this will replace Google <laughs> To, like, fan fiction communities being like, once again, our art has been plundered by the <laughs> godless heathens of Silicon Valley, and we should shut down. the Like, you pick
3: either one of those. It's just the whole gamut. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's the, whole, the whole gamut of feelings. <laughs>
2: so uh, uh, there's a lot of, like, vergy stuff in here. We should talk about the technology itself, which is super fascinating. We should talk about OpenAI, the yeah. company slash research foundation that has made it and published it. And we should— we should talk about all those downstream effects, the angry artists of the world. We should talk about Lenza in this conversation too, the app that makes profile pictures people are all worked up about. But let's just start with what it is. James, what is exactly going on with ChatGPT3?
5: Uh, so it it, uh, it is just ChatGPT rather than ChatGPT3. Oh, it's GPT3.5
2: <laughs> is the thing inside it.
5: So yeah, it is ChatGPT, which is a fine-tuned version of an AI bot called ChatGPT 3.5, which is itself is a version, or sort of an upgrade of Chat of GPT 3, which is from uh, 2020. So sort of the foundation of this tech has been around for a while. And what OpenAI, the company behind this, decided to do is they fine tuned the bot on conversational dialogue and they fed it a bunch of sort of conversational prompts and they got humans to rank the sort of attractiveness, the responsiveness of those prompts. They fed that back into it and it created a new sort of dialogue mode. Um, and then they took that and they put it into a web demo. And that has been like the huge thing, you know. Um, the, the, the baseline technology behind this has sort of been around for a while. It's never been as publicly accessible as this before. And that obviously has created this huge reaction where A, people are seeing what this thing can do for the first time. Be there, finding new things to do with it because you know you can get a bunch of AI researchers to play around with a model in a lab. They are never going to be as creative or as chaotic as the internet en mass. Suddenly being like, <laughs> "Hey, let's talk to this thing and see what it can do." I've got some. I've got some real interesting questions. So that has created this explosion where suddenly this thing is everywhere. And I'm Neil. I'm with you. I I do find it quite exciting. Like there's lots of caveats that need addressing when we talk about this technology. But the 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 base feeling for me is like, oh, man, this is pretty cool. Like, we couldn't do this before. It is doing interesting stuff. I'm into it. Let's see where it goes.
2: Yeah, I, that to me is the, the vergiest part of this whole story is what you just described. This underlying technology has been around since 2020. And we have seen mm. very public demos of similar technology. Like, at Google I.O., Sundar Pichai has yeah. demonstrated Google's riff on large language models like this. And you can go back and watch them. They're very funny. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to have a conversation with a planet now. Yeah. And then for a few minutes, we all just sit there while is like, what's it like to be Pluto? And a robot is like, it's weird. And everyone's <laughs> like, what is the purpose of this? But that is the same LLM idea, right, where you feed an AI a massive amount of language data, a massive yep. di- uh, corpus of text, and it learns how to talk to you. Yeah, OpenAI has a different riff, which GPT we've seen, but yeah. that like Google's been doing that demo for a while. Yeah. Then on top of that, we've already experienced like three or four news cycles of serious, meaningful controversy.
3: Yeah,
2: around LLMs, in particular, again at Google with Timnit Gebru and. And then there was just the researcher who claimed it was sentient and <laughs> it was fired for warning Google that their LLM was sentient. Uh, the Timnit guru is much more, I think, important, less funny, but more important where she was yeah. like, I'm publishing papers about the ethics of AI like this. And she claims Google fired her for publishing those papers. This is like a yeah. big deal.
5: Yeah.
2: All I'm saying is we have gone through the gamut with the underlying technology. We've mm. seen the big hypey demos. We've seen the ethics controversy. We've seen the engineer who claims it's alive get fired. (laughs) Like there's a lot of peaks and valleys to the story already over the past few years. And what has happened now is that the user interface got good. Yeah. Right. The user interface to to do this before, right. You had to install a bunch of stuff on your computer or like, you, you just had to like work hard to get to the place where you could type in a prompt. Yeah. Now it's very much, you can just.
3: Talk to it. Yeah, you log yeah. in and, and you start chatting.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it is it is actually like that is a remarkable advancement in its, in its own way. Yeah. But the underlying tech is not that different than what it was before, is it?
5: No, no. And, it, and I think actually even the UI, the making it conversational, is something that we've been able to do for a while. And I think actually the the sort of the thing that has happened is that AI companies have got a little less scared this year and that there has been some successes with text-to-image models, specifically stable diffusion who disrupted you know, the status quo within this industry. So you had all these um, image models like Dolly, uh, which were relatively restricted. Stable diffusion is open source. Anyone can build on it. Anyone can mess around with it. That's had, that is having, will have bad consequences. But it's also created a lot of interest and excitement and people have built on it. And I think that gave AI companies some new confidence. I remember speaking earlier this year to Meta about a chatbot that they put out. And one of the things that one of their execs said to me was like, it's not 2016 anymore when the Microsoft Tay chatbot went online, became a racist asshole in 24 hours and then got pulled <laughs> off. You know, they, they were saying like, yes, that was bad. But A, we've got more guardrails than we used to. And B, we're kind of thinking that this is the best way we advance this stuff. So I think there has been a period of timidity. Um, which in many ways is connected to the criticisms that came out of Google with the Stochastic Parrots paper, which was the one by Timnit Gebru and and a few others, Margaret Mitchell, um, which is, you know, incredibly valuable, important stuff. They, you know, they brought up these issues and they are are huge, real issues. But I think that made the company sort of stutter for a while. And in 2022, OpenAI particularly has been like, you know what? F it. We're just going to put it out there and see what happens. And... People in OpenAI will be congratulating themselves for this, I'm sure, because they have got so much attention, they've got so much goodwill out of it. They're burning money doing it, but you know, I, you know, it, it really has moved the conversation forward for better or worse.
2: Can you, uh, before I move on, can we? Can you quickly just tell people what a stochastic parrot is and what this paper said? Because I think it underlies the whole controversy. Oh, yeah. To understand this technology, you have to understand that criticism.
5: So there are a lot of points that are made within the paper, but the, I, I, I think the big thing about it is what is a stochastic parrot? It is a probabilistic machine. Right and this is the big thing in many ways it's the big thing about the deep learning revolution in general in that instead of creating a deterministic computer where x does y does Z does you know ABC knocks on like that, you take a machine that looks at data that looks for patterns in that data learns to replicate that data, and then deals probabilities out to you and that that probabilistic nature of AI and of language large language models in particular creates all sorts of downstream problems. Often to do with the data that these systems are trained on. Stochastic parrots had a lot, a lot of criticisms about, you know, a lot of problems. I don't, I don't want to frame, I don't want to frame these people as critics because I feel that that in a way diminishes what they're saying. Because then you get the critics and the proponents, and the, you're either for or against the technology. These aren't people who are against the technology. They're just people who have things to say about it, and you know, right, right correct um, observations to make. But so when you have a probabilistic model, when you say train it. On data scraped from the internet that is going to return all the bad things in that data and that is stuff like biases that is you know bias against uh, people of color against women it has stereotypes within that and we know that these models including chat gpt these problems are not fixed they are still replicating these bias issues so yeah that's one thing within the paper but there are others but i'll leave it at that
2: <laughs> well so the, and this gets to very much how it works which we should also just touch on mm. briefly we're calling it an AI. Yeah. There are, and it's made by a company called OpenAI. But, but it's not an AI. But it isn't is not 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 actually an AI. AI. And this chat <laughs> client, it, its main feature is that it appears to have a sense of state. Yeah. Right. You ask it a question, it gives you an answer. You ask it a follow up. It appears to remember what has transpired and and answer a follow-up question that is also a mirage so can talk about how it works and you know it's sort of just like guessing the next word of a sentence (laughs) and then we should talk about how it's preserving the sense of state to create the impression of a conversation
5: yeah i mean so at the basis um a language model particularly gpt3 is an autocomplete right It has looked at this data, it is looked and it is mapped out in these incredible multidimensional graphs, the proximity of words to one another, essentially. And by doing that, when it looks at how often words appear next to each other, you get this semantic map, uh, which allows you to know that, you know, king is like queen because they're part of this body called monarchy. But king also has this connection with man, while queen has a connection with woman. And, you know, it maps out all this semantic data. And then essentially you feed it a string of words and then it will predict what will come next. What happens when you turn that into a conversation is that there is a lot of clever behind the scenes stuff, (laughs) which honestly, I don't quite understand. I don't understand the basic mechanisms of it, but essentially, you know, it turns your question into a prompt in which it tries to predict based on based on what you've asked it, what the answer would or should or could be. Yeah, so that that is the sort of the underlying the underlying mechanism there. What, what you've pointed out, the fact that these uh, systems, particularly chat GPT, have a sense of state, I think that really changes how you interact with them, as you rightly point out, you know, because you start thinking of it as an entity, not as a sort of a... a, a a function where you ask it di- discrete questions and it div- gives you discrete answers. And I think this sense of state is what led to the Google engineer, Blake uh, LeMoyne, Le yeah. I, I, uh, Le you know, mistaking this thing for a, a, a conscious being of some sort. So <laughs> a, a state is very important. It helps the user, right? But it also creates this false sense of personhood. And I think that is going to be a really tricky balance in the future with these models, knowing how to split that divide.
3: I mean, how different is it from Siri or Alexa or something like that? Because I have to admit, the few times I've used <laughs> Chat GPT <laughs> it hasn't worked for me. <laughs> it, it it gave me it gave me this whole I asked it for a story. And he gave me an entire story, and it was like, and then they killed the dragon, and then they fought Thanos. And I was like, is Thanos the dragon? And it was like, I don't know how to respond to that question. And I was like,
5: but you
3: just told me all about it. So it felt like, for me so far, my experience with it has been very Alexa, very very Siri, which is why I'm like, it seems fine, and I haven't been super impressed. But it sounds like you guys have all had, like, much different Well, so I'll tell
2: you, even this little joke about complete the sentence, welcome to the Vergecast, that query I had to enter specifically that way. Yeah. When I— said, what is the Vergecast the flagship podcast of? I got a stock answer that says, I cannot search the internet for you. Right. right. And so there, there are these like dead ends. And it's like, I don't, that's a weird.
3: Yeah. It's kind of like w- early days of Google where you like, you had to really think yeah. about how you worded that question. Yeah. And I know James, you were talking, you recently wrote a piece where you had a friend who like used it to create a whole new macro.
5: Yeah. An Excel macro. Just, you know, he, he's a guy who works in higher education he does a lot of database wrangling as part of his job but he's not he's not a coder he's never yeah. he's never had a formal training that he studied english at university you know and he would, he was just casually saying i asked it for an excel macro about how to you know extract this this um sort of selection of dates and it came up with it and it got it he he got it to work in a matter of minutes and i just thought well that is that really says something about the accessibility of these systems.
2: Yeah. Th- um, there's a piece of the puzzle there that is really important, right? Because the mm. most impressive examples I've seen of the system working are people asking it to write computer programs. Right? right? Write me code, yeah. which we think of as a very difficult thing to do. I'm sure all the people who actually write code for a living listening to this are like, that's not so hard. But like it the relationship between human language and computer language is usually mediated by people. Like yeah. mm mostly mediated by people and having a a robot that can make that connection for you and take your English language query and spit out working workable code in the language of your choice. The most impressive ones I've seen have all been in C sharp, which is like a weird Microsoft (laughs) corner case language, right? Like that's amazing to me. And it's because the corpus of text on the internet includes so much code.
5: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that
2: to me is like a fascinating reflection of what you're talking about, which is the inputs reflect the outputs. Yeah, It can do this because there is so much code on the internet. If you were to ask it to do other kinds of things that the internet
5: is not so good
3: at, like recipes. Quick, somebody ask it to make a cookie. Give me a cookie recipe. Apparently, <laughs> yeah.
5: it's, quite, apparently it's quite good at recipes.
3: There's a lot of recipe text on the internet.
5: Yeah, yeah but
2: they usually have right. the,
3: the, the, the opener where the person has to talk about how the cookies remind them of their grandmother's well, house. So
2: this is like you get all the way downstream of it to, well, this is like why people think it's going to replace Google.
3: Yeah. Right.
2: Which is asking this thing questions returns more interesting answers mm-hmm. that are more conversational and are often just the answer. Mm. Write me an Excel macro. If you wrote that into Google, you would be flooded with a list of garbage. Yeah. Like Google would basically return to you nothing of value.
3: Bunch of paywalls.
2: Uh, yeah. A bunch of paywalls, a bunch of SEO spam text, a bunch of articles Quora. that were like slideshows. Yeah. And you'd be like this actually does not, is not a date sort in Excel. Yeah. yeah. This is just, yeah. you're trying to get a bunch me to of YouTube book.
3: results. It's like, actually, you should just watch this 20 minute video. <laughs> yeah.
2: We got you. Um, and there's a reason that other search products like, Uh, Stack Overflow and Yelp and all these other things exist. They're more targeted search interfaces to certain kinds of results. And they have built businesses not being gamed by Google in that way. Chat GPT is like you ask a question. It just tells you an answer uh, with utter confidence. It's like here is some code you can type into your computer to do a date sort. And like maybe it's pure malware. (laughs) Like, maybe you're going <laughs> to hack, like, an Iranian nuclear reactor. Like, you have no idea what's going to happen. But it's like, here it is. Yeah. You got it. Like, here's a recipe for a whiskey sour. One cup bleach, please. And it just like, no, no, like, absolutely no hesitation whatsoever. And I think that is why people are reacting to it. Yeah. Mm. Because there's no business model between you and something that is presented to you confidently like an answer, even if the answer is garbage. Yeah.
4: Like, you know, and it's, There's no business model yet.
2: Right. Right now, it's burning money. James, how much money does this thing cost to run? Because it seems like they're just lighting VC dollars on fire.
5: Well, I, I think, Alex, you, you didn't you do something on this? I remember. I, I can't remember the figures.
3: Yeah, I did, did the math on it, and basically each query costs like 0. 0.0003 cents. And right. so it's costing them about $3 million a day on average with like they, they, they assumed the number of people using it and the number of queries and stuff, but probably about $3 million on, on average. And that was based on the pricing for AWS, which is where this is all running out of, because it has to use a lot of GPUs to, to do all of this. Like one, I think they said like one GPU would maybe present one word in a couple of minutes. So it's having to use like a ton of processing power, probably way more than Google does for Google search. Which might make which it. explains a lot about Google search. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> use more GPUs. Yeah, well, so that I
2: mean, that to me is really fascinating, right? So as Richard's pointing out, doesn't make money yet. The costs are high.
5: Yeah,
2: on a long enough timeline, the cost of technology come down, sure, but right now the costs are high, and they're going to have to somehow make this a product.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, we're seeing that with Linza, right? Like Linza is this other big AI thing that's that's using, I think, open source engine.
5: Yeah, it's using using Stable Diffusion, which is an open source uh, text to image AI, but also is monetized by the company that funds it. And I say funds it rather than made it because there is a very convoluted um, sort of licensing scheme going on that the company that is associated with it, stability AI has put in place in order to avoid future legal liability. Um, so they, <laughs> they, they, they fund it. it. They fund it, but they don't research it and they don't make it technically. Right. But anyway, yeah. And
3: so this other company, Prism, is that is that the name of
5: it? Prisma Labs, yeah.
3: Prisma Labs has taken taken this this engine and they've put it into their app. And mm. so if you pay a certain amount of money, you can have little cute digital portraits of yourself. And also help them continue to train this AI. Basically, you're, I mean, effectively, you're paying them to train their AI.
5: Well, whether they keep the AI, (laughs) do they they keep the data for training AI? I feel like this is such a meme within, uh, within Twitter that like, oh, Tool X is cl- keeping your data for Y. And yeah. I, you know, I Because mean, that's that's happened in the past. Like, we have seen that happen before. But, where yeah. a company is like,
3: yeah, give us your face. Oh, by the way, we're working on facial recognition. Yeah,
2: Facetune. Yeah, it I, wasn't
3: it? it? was like the I Chinese. Think it was Facetune. App. Yeah, Facetune, like, yeah. Like, we've definitely seen that. And Prisma Labs, to their credit, has said they told TechCrunch earlier this week, either this week or last week. Yeah. Anyway, to their credit, Prisma Labs did tell TechCrunch that. They, they aren't keeping a lot of this data. They are deleting it. It's, it's, it's going away from their servers. But isn't it still training stable
5: diffusion? Or are they just like... It wouldn't be training Stable Diffusion. Stable Diffusion would be sort of uh, separate from that. Um, and Stable Diffusion is based on a, a big database called Lion, which again is made yeah. by a German university. Um, it, I, I guess they could be keeping it. I don't know. My, my, my feeling on that is that the bad PR of finding out an app is keeping your data in order to train its systems would outweigh the cheapness of just buying that data. You know, if you want, yeah. if you want to get a million faces downloaded to train a facial <laughs> recognition system... <laughs> Yeah. There, there exists you, a database you, called Megaface. You
2: sound like a character from Cyberpunk.
5: Right? <laughs> Do you want to get a million faces? Do you want a million faces, my friend?
2: If you want to get a million faces, I can get <laughs> you a million he faces. You got a guy. You
5: got a guy. I got, I got a guy with a... I got several million faces back here. You take a look. I got what you need. Come so that's on. That's
2: why this works. You have faces. I get you faces. Oh, I got your
5: faces, guy. Come
3: on. Yeah. like Prisma Lab, they, they, are, they found their other ways. I mean, even if they, they aren't doing the whole... We're going to steal all of your facial recognition data so that we yeah. can sell it somewhere else. They are saying you have to sign up for a month of our service. Right, but, like, but
2: that's just like Apple Apps. This yeah, is what yeah, I mean. Like, once like traditional you add the business store. model to it, yeah. which is like, we don't want to sell you an app. We don't want to sell you one in app purchase. We want to make you subscribe to our app and then forget that you're subscribed to our app. Yes. Yeah. So we get at least one more month of yeah. money from you. They're going to make
3: so much money I, this but next I, month. I, th-
5: I think this will be gone. Pretty soon. This this specific iteration of it. Does anyone remember style transfer? Like that was like a big AI sort of trend in like 2015, 2016, I want to say. And you know what? Prisma Labs did that. They did that back in the day. I, I was looking up some old articles I wrote about them because I I, the name was familiar to me. And they used to do these style transfer things where you'd put in a picture and it would make it look like Van Gogh or it would make it look like stained glass. And, you know, this was a thing for a while. Facebook did it. You'd see it on people's profile pictures and it was gone within a month.
3: Yeah. And now it's an Adobe feature.
5: Yeah, it's an Adobe feature and it's a boring preset thing. And I I think AI portraits will probably go that way pretty quickly, but something next will come.
3: There, but
2: there's something underlying all of this, which is kind of the, the cultural controversy of it, right? So we've talked about where it came from, how it works, the controversy. Mm. That we, importantly, I think the democratization of the technology with easier-to-use user interfaces. And in the case of Lenza, right, stable diffusion is a thing that you were able, you can today download it and run it on your computer. Yeah, You can just do it if you want. It just, it's hard, like, yeah. people don't want to do it. Actually, uh, Apple just released an update that makes stable diffusion run faster on its phones
3: oh cool
5: yeah which which is big yeah
2: right and it's like a 40 percent performance boost on the neural engine on it like an m2 Mm -hmm. Um, right like this is it's all happening but it's here's an app where you can pay four bucks to get some profile pictures it's actually a much more like democratic anybody can use it that's when I say like that's the vergiest part of the story, it's like you give all the people the tools and then you have no idea what's gonna happen. And that's yeah. like that's when I just like am the happiest.
3: What's that called again, James? When Chaos? you give people all the <laughs>
5: yeah. Sorry. No, you, what? No. Had like a specific,
3: you had a specific word for it in the piece you wrote today about AI. Oh, the overhang. Oh, the, overhang. the overhang. The
5: overhang. Yeah. So that's not necessarily about accessibility. The phrase is capability overhang, which I love it. It sounds like, I don't know, it sounds like a minor character in a Pynchon novel. <laughs> um, capability overhang. Um, but it, it, it essentially refers to the hidden capabilities of AI systems. That. The, it's sort of something that AI researchers get quite excited about and stay up late talking about when, they, when they, they, you know, they think about the fact that these models do things that we don't even know that we don't know that they do, right? That there are, there are unknown unknowns about what these things can do. And the, the point I made in my piece was that although there exists a capability overhang within the research community... There also exists one within the sort of public awareness of this. And 2022, particularly the last couple of months, when we've seen tools like ChatGPT, we've seen, I mean, m- remember like Crayon, the AI image generator that was everywhere for a little bit and is now already just sort of like part of the background tapestry of the internet? Yeah, we forgot. These tools. Yeah, we, we've forgotten, but these tools are just becoming part of everyday life now and we are now climbing that overhang the public we're discovering what these capabilities are and i think 2023 is going to be wild for this stuff and we're going to see we're going to see a lot of consequences happen as well
2: that that's where we should kind of wrap this up with because Mm. to me the image-based ai in some way that stuff is harder for a regular person to do right Mm. Uh, a, a really good example is you know Casey Newton used to work at The Verge, and we would illustrate his newsletter with actual designers and illustrators, like a human being who worked here. M- most recently, Alex Castro, <laughs> uh, who's a great illustrator, would like illustrate Casey's newsletter once a week. Right. Yeah. Casey now uh, routinely has Dolly illustrate the newsletter. Right. He like mm. types a prompt into an image generator and like whatever it's done. And that, there was a moment where that you know th- all the arguments about. There was even like a minor controversy about news publications using these tools for illustrations instead of hiring illustrators. But that stuff seems faddish, even though it's harder, right? Even though most people cannot illustrate anything on their own, that stuff stylistically, it comes and goes the usages for those things. Like images expire in a way that, you know, like other kinds of formats don't it's the text side. It's the, you wrote me some code or, I've seen the number of advertising people I have seen who are like, we're going to spam the most marketing text on the most content <laughs> marketing blogs that you have ever seen. This mm. is a godsend for the agencies. And it's like, first of all, all of you talk about advertising is <laughs> as, as though you're like boning. Like I, there's – like, if you just like <laughs> just are in that down. world, it's just, like you got to – be less horny about ads. Like, I, just my, that's my advice to all of you.
3: 10% at least.
2: <laughs> just like 10% less horny about please. advertising, please. Uh. And then there is like, oh, that's real, right? Like if you run a small ad agency and you're like hired to sell bottles of water mm. and you need to make the website that's about how great the bottled water is.
3: Nobody's either, reading it anyway. Right. You're kind of like,
2: what I need is a bunch of keywords for Google. Yeah. So mm. when people Google bottled water, they like – Google's like, well, I found this site with a lot of bottled water references on it. I do wonder if it's going to co- like – They're definitely not going to hire some like 22-year-old kid to do it. They're yeah. going to be like, robot, write me bottled water copy. Write and, me my SEO copy. And they're going to like, edit it a little bit and they're going to put it on their website. And they're already – they see it. They see the value of that completely.
3: Yeah, I wonder if that's actually I've seen, um bigger danger to Google I will, I
2: will, I will give a little hint about an episode of Decoder that we have in oh. our minds. There's a very famous hustle culture gentleman uh-huh. out in the world.
3: Yeah. Mm.
2: I love him. <laughs> I mean, I've been wanting this gentleman on Dakota for a long time. So I've been following him, uh-huh. and I got recommended a bunch of his staffers. Uh-huh. And one of his staffers has a TikTok. It's like, you know how sometimes you need to write 45 tweets for a campaign? Have you met chat GPT? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, here's 45 tweets that I wrote for this campaign for yeah. like our hustle culture product. And And it's like, like, oh, that that shit's going to happen. And that, to me, is more durable, more interesting, more chaotic, more impactful than the image stuff. And I think the image stuff gets all the press because most people can't make images. Right. Obviously, most people can make text. But the part where it's – and maybe I'm biased because I make text for a living. (laughs) And I also apparently talk about nothing on this podcast. (laughs) Um, But the part where it's like, oh, like – Most of the text on the internet is like, so Google will find it, and so now we're going to trick the Google robot with our robot?
3: Yeah. It's like, oh, we're in the end times. I love it here. (laughs) Well, it feels like, I mean, that's what I was, like, I think that's where Google has to face the threat. It's not, oh, I can go and chat with this thing, and it'll give me results. It's, oh, other people can go chat with it, and it will give them results, thus making Google SEO even more worthless. So, James, you have written
2: about Google exploring these models for search, And Mm. I feel like the biggest meme of the past week is this is going to replace Google. And you actually wrote, we republished, re-promoted a piece you wrote a year ago about Google exploring this exact idea and kind of walking away from it.
5: Well, I mean, I don't think they walked away from it forever because as you have pointed out, they love to demo this stuff, like the the conversations with MUM and Lambda, which are two of their big large language models, which are sort of their equivalents of GPT-3. But they, they did write this paper in May or June 2021, I can't remember exactly, where they pointed out uh, a lot of the problems with it. And in my piece, I, I, I sort of thought that Actually, it's problems they faced before. The big one is the confidence in presenting what is potentially false information. Large language models, because of their stochastic, their probabilistic nature, they, they cannot sort fact from fiction reliably. There are probably ways around that. There's ways to build in, I'm sure, a directory of knowledge that it checks against, that it looks for citations with. Um, but there is this problem with confidence. And we saw it, actually, I thought, with Google Home. Where you used to ask Google uh, a question, and it would not, it was not a Google search, of course. It was just, it would just give you the answer. And that UI, that presentation, is to me the same as Chat GPT, because there is confidence, there is no outside sources, and there is often a chance that you will give the entirely the wrong response. And <laughs> <laughs> it is something that happens a lot. I, I, I think these are fixable problems. I think the question is. Does a startup come up with a better search engine, which is probably really janky and probably actually causes a lot of trouble? Do they get that out there before Google itself puts out a version which preserves its credibility? The thing is, Google has much more to lose in this scenario, whereas a startup can burn a lot of like it can create a lot of goodwill and it can say we're doing something fast, we're going to the moon with this, and it can put out something that is potentially very dangerous and get away with it and maybe scoop Google. I I think these things will... There are problems with them, but I think they will be incorporated into search in the next couple of years. And the question for me is whether... Who gets that first, basically?
2: What do you think the most
5: interesting use of the technology as it exists today is? Um just creating psychosis in its users. I think
3: I think if you just if you talk to
5: these things for long enough you will go mad. There is a reason that guy that Google engineer was like, you know what? It's alive. There's a reason we started the show by joking about an AI religion. One of my favorite one of my favorite books of the last couple of years and I don't know why sorry, I don't know why I'm doing this. Is this is a podcast. I'm anyway, holding um, up a book. It's, this is great. I'm holding up a book. It's, it is called Pharmaco AI, and it's by an artist, a writer, um, Keolado McDowell. And it is an extended conversation with GPT three in which Alardo um, McDowell sort of reimagines GPT three as this Godhead as this sort of mythical divine entity that drives them mad basically over the course of the book in my opinion and I think the the, the weirdest and the most wonderful thing is the conversations we 're going to have with what is essentially a, a really weird mirror of ourselves you know, for better or worse, these things are scraped from the internet and we can influence them with our feedback. That means they are like us. It is something that reflects us back to us. And I think that is going to create some really, really strange cultural experiences for everyone.
2: There's another version of GPT coming out, right? GPT-4 is uh, apparently on the horizon. Oh yeah, what, it's on what, the horizon. What happens with it? What is James the James? was so
3: excited! Just I'm sorry, it. I did I did that
5: again. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, he, like,
2: he did the Mr. Burns with his fingers. <laughs>
5: that was that, that was completely instinctive. I'm so embarrassed by that. I don't know why I did that.
3: What's exciting? Why are you doing this? Well, it's, it's well, finally
5: bigger. humankind
2: will block out the sun. <laughs> yeah.
3: Don't get shot by a baby. Like,
5: finally, I can get it. I can get an AI to do my job. Finally, and I can just I can just get drunk on podcasts instead. It's all I've been out yeah, trying to do. Um, no, I, I don't know. I am excited because I think it's it. Hopefully, it will be as much as a leap forward as GPT three was from GPT two. Which I use both programs. Uh, you know, I I I play around with them, um, and it was quite a step forward actually. Uh, we don't know when it's going to come out. There were rumours that it would be the end of this year. It's now looking like it will be early next year. And actually, a lot of the rumours were basically about chat GPT. But it's supposed to be much, much bigger, you know, in terms of the parameters, which is the sort of metric by which you measure the size of these and the complexity of these models. Actually, no one knows anything about it. Apart from that, there is just a lot of sort of like funny rumors going around that, you know, GPT-4 is, you know, the computational matrix is equal to the complexity of all organic life on earth, which I believe is Douglas Adams. You know, it's that sort of joke, basically. But yeah, that should be early next year. And I'm with Neela. I think this is going to have like a huge influence on jobs. Uh, I think this is actually we're going to start seeing industries change because of this technology very soon.
2: You know, we need to wrap this up. But fundamentally interesting about that is I think in a popular imagination, the automation has always replaced the blue collar jobs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to some extent that is true. And we're going to, you know, we're going to talk about the TSMC factory that got opened in Arizona this week. Like, yes, there's a bunch of, like, cars are built by robot arms now. Yeah. But it turns out the AI is just like, it's coming for ad agencies, Mm -hmm. right? Just like the way that Excel came for accounting firms. Yeah. And I don't think that anybody has quite yet reckoned for that. The AI is coming for mid-level Excel macro coders (laughs) more than it is coming for factory workers, right? Because if you can just ask a robot to be like, sort some dates and it spits out the code at you, there's actually just like kind of like a huge middle class of white collar work that goes away. And no one can check the AI's work because it's so confident.
3: Well, and it's going to create work too, right? Like all of these, every time you do these queries and stuff, somebody somewhere is probably having to, comb through some of them and check them and make sure that things are getting labeled properly and that everything's working because this is that's a lot you of da- you want to be the ai the <laughs> semantic ai data checker <laughs> i think that is that's a
2: that's a job mm. of the future where you just go through and you check the tags on the yep. chat gpt yep. Yep. But this person's
3: talking about porn with gpt <laughs> and i'm i'm here with them I
5: mean, if you guys aren't any capture lately, we, we, you know we, this is already part of our day-to-day lives. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We've been
2: doing it for a long time. This is a fire hydrant. Um, so we should let you go, yes. James. We should call out, James has his own very good book called Beyond Measure, which is a delight. Wow. Soon you. to be excerpted in The Verge when it comes out in the United States. Tell us about your book, James.
5: Oh, uh, it is um, a history of measurement. Uh, It is a sort of, you know, it's a history. It's a science book. It's a sociology book. It's where does where do measurements come from? uh, What do people do with them? And why do Americans hate the metric system so much? Those are the three big questions (laughs) I tackle.
3: (laughs) It's very good. It's
2: very funny. I bought I bought I have a British copy because I'm fancy. Oh dear! I bought bought it early.
3: I see. I bought an import. Yeah. Like I used to do
2: with seven inches. I bought an import (laughs) copy. You know the U.S. version has a bonus edition of Train in Vain at the very end. It's not labeled. Uh, all right, we've gone on too long. James, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Man.
5: Oh, my pleasure. So nice to step in, and uh, yeah, speak to you guys later. Bye bye. All right, We'll be right back. We
2: got to talk about well, we got to talk about Apple. You know, there's all kinds of stuff. We'll be right back.
0: Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn, it's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work.
1: Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
3: All right, we're back. Yeah, we're back. You you know, Neelai, so we're here in the office, Neil and I are, and I saw him hunched over his desk earlier today just muttering FTC and Activision Blizzard. It sounds like there's some stuff happening with the Microsoft Activision Blizzard deal.
2: Yeah, it's like the least breaking breaking news yeah. of all time. <laughs> I, I don't know how else to describe it. So the the FTC uh-huh. filed a lawsuit. Right. There's some details about it that we should talk about, but Microsoft wants to buy Activision Blizzard.
3: They've or, wanted to for a while. ActaBlizz.
2: Act ActiBliz. Which makes Call of Duty.
3: Yeah. They said we're not going to touch it. We're gonna. We're just going to let it do its thing. We promise. We'll, we'll
2: talk about Call of Duty in a second. So they make Call of Duty. They make uh, Candy Crush. They make all, Activision of Blizzard makes all the money on Candy Crush, by yeah. the way. Uh, Phil Spencer was just on Decoder. Talk about why the deal wasn't anti-competitive. Why well, it was so good. And- Even though Microsoft keeps buying every studio. <laughs> like, this is their third gigantic studio. That find, right. right? Um, and they obviously make a bunch of other stuff. And so there's an, all this back and forth, specifically around Call of Duty. Yes. Right? Sony is like, you're going to take Call of Duty away from the PlayStation. Gamers rise up. The gamers rose up. Microsoft is like, no, Phil Spencer, to us, to me, has said many times, we're going to put Call of Duty on PlayStation as long as there's a Call of Duty. Then there was this, like, sidelight conspiracy theory, which was honestly my favorite conspiracy (laughs) theory, that they would only do Call of Duty on PlayStation as, like, an Xbox Game Pass streaming situation. I love that. So Sony would be forced to Trojan horse the Game Pass streaming app on the PlayStation. Yeah, you so you got stream Call it. of Duty. So I asked him about that. He got all riled up. He was like, no <laughs> native code. And I was like, how long is the deal? Initially, they'd only offered three years. And Phil told me like, you can't write a contract forever, which is true. Right. Like, I, this is not legal advice. This is not a legal show. If you're listening to the show without your lawyer you're making a mistake, <laughs> <laughs> like, please please drive immediately to the nearest lawyer's office to continue listening to the show. Um, I'll just ask GPT. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Should you sign a contract whose term is forever? And I feel like very clearly the answer is no.
3: Even chat GPT will be like,
2: don't no, do that. Don't do that. Like, no contracts are forever. So fi- I get it. So then Microsoft has been running around these past few weeks trying to appease regulators in this country and in Europe mm-hmm. by saying, OK, we will commit to Call of Duty for 10 years. Okay. Which is an awful long time. Yeah. Like they're going to be out of major world conflicts to mine and they will be <laughs> fully in the future.
3: <laughs> they're already in the future. Gonna they like, had, like, they they're going to have to
2: get rid of like, like all the World War II Call of Duties are done for. Yeah, they're
3: done. They, they went to the, to the future wars?
2: and they went back already. <laughs>
4: yeah,
2: <just> saying, like, <laughs> Call of Duty is like, they're just going to be out of wars or like yeah. whatever. AI Call of Duty is where we're at. Ten years from now. That was not good enough. It was not good enough for the CMA in Europe, which has mm. already said we're going to stop it. We're starting an investigation. And then here, the FTC, Federal Trade Commission, has basically been rumbling at this for
3: a long time. Yeah. Just muttering to itself. Just
2: like, we, and I don't this happen. So when I say there's some, like, there's a little bit of interest. Yeah. They filed the suit. The lawsuit. Okay. We have not seen the complaint yet. The word on the street is they're not going to release it until Microsoft has, like, gotten it. <laughs> until Microsoft President Brad Smith is, like sat down with a snifter of, yeah. of brandy and like read the complaint.
3: put um, his little smoking jacket on. But today,
2: the day they said they're gonna do this complaint. Oh, um they also filed the complaint in their own administrative court, not in federal court. Okay. Which is like tactically interesting. Like yeah. what do they actually want out of this? Do they actually want to block the deal or is it just a lot of bluster to get some concession? Who knows? But today, the same day is the first day of the trial where the FTC is has sued to stop Meta Facebook mm-hmm. from buying Within, which makes Supernatural, which I have called the killer app for VR. It's it's pretty killer. It's very good. So if you have a quest to uh, Supernatural is a fitness app.
3: You like it's Beat Saber, but you have to like sweat. It's Beat Saber Peloton. Yeah. Oh, they've added kicking. They added kicking.
2: Yeah, knee strikes.
3: All right. Well, and I got also boxing. I got some. The boxing is great. Boxing's I like the too. boxing.
2: I think I've told this story in the very before. My wife did the boxing in Supernatural one time, grinned the whole time, then took off the headset and said, I'm great at boxing. <laughs>
3: <laughs> like,
2: that's what you want, right? So this, this thing's great. It sells a lot of headsets. Uh, Chris Milk, the CEO of Within, has been on Decoder. He's like, super. the Supernatural community is like 50-50 men and women, and it's people over 40, which is not a traditional VR. Right. base. Like, this is the thing. This app initiates people into buying a Quest 2 because it's good. So Meta said, screw it. We buy every other VR game. We're going to buy Supernatural. They went and bought it. FCC sued them. This deal is like teeny tiny. They're buying this thing for like 20 bucks. Yeah. And it's an app for VR headsets. Yeah. A market size of six. (laughs) Like, they're the biggest fish in a (laughs) tiny, tiny, tiny pond. If the FCC is going to block that deal, they basically had no choice. But to block. To block the Activision deal. It's like, right, obviously console gaming is much bigger Activision itself is much bigger. Microsoft very opportunistically swept in because Bobby Kotick, Activision is like. I mean, Activision
3: um, Blizzard has been facing some bad times for right. the last. like
2: numerous allegations of like weird sexual misconduct across the company. Yep,
3: a lot of people have been let go for for misconduct. There's a lot of union organizing happening because of the misconduct. Yeah. I would not want to work there right now. It seems really busy. Yeah. It's
2: unpleasant, but, and so Microsoft very openly, like after this first wave allegations, they just like showed up and they're like, "Wouldn't it be great if you didn't run this company anymore? Yeah, just
3: give it to us. Give it
2: to us." And so, like, there's a lot of noise. So if you're gonna, if you are the FTC and you have to, and you have sued to block Meta from buying like Supernatural, and by the way, that complaint, you know, I'm anti. I think mergers are bad, but the, compla- the FTC's complaining that is like. We tr- we've we tried Supernatural. It's a very good. <laughs> like, you shouldn't have it, right? Um, if you buy Supernatural, you will not turn Beat Saber into a proper competitor for Supernatural. And I think rightfully, Meta, the Beat Saber team were like, what are you talking about? Like, in what world is Beat Saber turning into a, a Peloton?
3: Yeah. Like, no, that's like. What? In the world of the FTC where they want. They, they have it. to find
2: some reason. So they, they filed this. Need. We have not read it. They filed it in this administrative court. They have said to Axios or someone has said to Axios, they're not asking to actually like block the deal at this time. So mm-hmm. the deal might still close. So they've sued to block the deal. So it shouldn't happen. But they've not asked their own administrative court to be like, yeah, don't let him do it. So uh, there's a little nuance in there that I, uh, without having read the complaint, I can't quite tell you about And the complaint's not out yet. But you just get the sense that, like, the Europeans are definitely on firmer ground when it comes to blocking mergers. That's, like, what they're good at. Yeah. (laughs) And the FCC is like, we're also finally suited. And maybe what we want is some intensely hardcore concessions. And this is, like, calibrated to achieve that result. While they go fight this other battle around supernatural in court where they – you know, Lena Khan says to prove her theory. Because the
3: supernatural – that's not in the administrative law court. That's in, that's in court. Court court. Yeah.
2: Um, and, you know, there's other cases against Facebook and others uh, that she has filed. She's the chairwoman of the FCC. She's got novel theories about competition. And, I, again, completely honest, like I agree with most of her theories. The courts in this country are like, that's new. <laughs> New ideas, you say. No, thank you. <laughs>
3: they don't right? understand what a phone is.
2: They're <laughs> deeply confused about how some of this technology works, and in particular, like network effects and like how you might lock people in. So, I, and we're seeing this with Apple and Epic, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's just some baseline confusion about what creates lock in for a consumer yeah. or where anti competitive in these markets might come from. And then there's the real problem. And this is particularly true to Apple and Epic and some of these other cases where the our country in particular, for about 40 years, has been like, mergers? Great. Love a merger. Love a merger. Bigger you buy than some shit. You should buy some shit, yeah. right? And so you've got to just overcome a lot of precedent to, to block a merger. So I, I just see, like, I see where this case is calibrated, mm-hmm. and I see that the Europeans want to block it, too. And what we'll just see... I don't know. Do you think it's going to, like, you know, Microsoft is, like, running out there. And, again, you should listen to the conversation I had with, with Phil about it on Decoder. He made his case. Yeah. Right? And it's very funny when a big company wants to buy something. The case is always, but we suck.
3: Yeah. We suck so much. Let us buy this so This we can market is better. so competitive.
2: We've been getting it's our tired. ass kicked. We're nowhere in mobile games. We need to buy Candy Crush. Yeah. Call of Duty. You could have Call of Duty. The future is mobile, right? Like, go listen to it. It's, he, Phil is very good. The man was born to be the CEO of Microsoft. He's very, very good at that job. Um, uh, You know, and he's a a candid executive. So you can go listen to it. But the argument basically boils down to if we don't grow, we die. And all the growth is in mobile. So we have to buy Activision so we can get mobile games. Yeah. And all the stuff we're talking about with our consoles is like kind of a sidelight.
3: Do you buy it? I mean, I don't because that's not their biggest market, right? Like Xbox... Is certainly a big part of Microsoft, but cloud computing is a much bigger part of Microsoft. Yeah. And so so for them to say this, it's just like super disingenuous. Because, like, yeah, they're a gaming company, but they're a cloud company first and foremost, even more so than than they're an operating system company or any of these other things. Like they do cloud computing. So to say this is just like some bullshit. <laughs> I well, feel see, like.
2: I mean, I I honestly don't know where this is gonna go. Like this is a this is a big case. This is a generationally important antitrust case. Yeah. Because there's – we just have not stopped deals like this well, as a country. I almost.
3: thought it was kind of interesting that we've seen Microsoft go on this spree around the same time that we also saw, like, one of the biggest kind of halts in vertical integration in the entertainment community go away, which was the Paramount Decree that was, like, from the 30s that they they got rid of a couple of years ago. And that Paramount Decree said – if you are making the movies, you cannot own the theaters because that's really hinky because then you get to control where your movies screen. Yeah. And the exact like we're dealing with that issue in streaming, and we're dealing with it in gaming. if If Microsoft is making the game consoles, they probably shouldn't also be making the games because then they control where those games go. And like it's fundamentally the same thing. but I know that our country has said, yeah, consent Paramount's consent c- decree, don't need it. We're fine. Yeah. We'll,
2: well, we'll, so, well, so to abstract that out, it's, it's usually like, you know, vertical versus horizontal emergence, right. right? And so we allow vertical ones, or we have for the past 40 years, which is the theaters were the only distribution. Yeah. And if you own all the distribution, you have a lot of power over the, the studios. And so the studios shouldn't own the theaters because then the other students, they can unfairly right. discriminate. Disney can like say
3: computers. you will never see another MGM movie in our theaters again.
2: And we own all the theaters. So they're like, no, you can't do that. The theaters have to be competitive. You can, like, apply that lesson to the iOS app store. Yeah. You can apply that lesson to Comcast. Like, whatever it is, like, whoever owns the pipes or the distribution. Here, I think you're saying, like, the game consoles are, they're, like, the distribution.
3: Yeah, the game consoles are the theater, right? right. Like, and, and they have a very robust big business there. If they're making the theaters, they probably shouldn't also be making the content that goes into those theaters. In this case, all of the games at Activision Blizzard, one of the largest gaming companies not currently owned by Microsoft, like in, yeah. or nintendo existing one thing that makes it a little more complicated is that
4: generally the consoles are sold at a loss they're not necessarily profiting on the actual consoles themselves the because they're profiting on those, this analogy they're, the game they're making sales. profit on the games and i guess microsoft is claiming that they would love to make more money from games so of course they'll sell call of duty <laughs> on playstation or nintendo or steam because everyone wants to play call of duty on switch that's that's what you want. Yeah. By
2: the way, Nintendo happily took the 10-year deal year for Call of Duty. Yeah. No complaints filed. No, no letters think, to the senators. They're like, 10 years of Call of Duty on the Switch?
3: We'll take it because they don't give a did shit. they? Did they, Did that specify what kind of Call of Duty? Like, is it just going to be the mobile gross version that's on your phone? I don't think it matters to, to
2: Nintendo. I think Nintendo, Nintendo doesn't care that anybody who owns a console also probably wants to play Mario. Yeah, and they've got an absolute rock solid, legally defensible monopoly on <laughs> Mario, and he's never going anywhere except Nintendo consoles.
3: It is very funny that we're like, oh, I don't know if 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 Microsoft can own Call of Duty, and Nintendo is like, we own everything
2: on our platform and we will destroy i mean they're the apple of this industry and microsoft is the uh microsoft
4: (laughs) but what i want to know is what kind of concessions could the ftc get and and i'm very specific about my needs i need to be able to use controllers across across platforms (laughs) 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 i I don't like buying Uh, controllers i don't need dual i don't want to use dual sense. i just want to use my xbox elite controller everywhere so we need to fix that link on. Lena, if you're listening, stop. I need one. to be able to yeah. use my gaming headsets across every single platform. They need to all be compatible. We need to fix this. We need the online accounts and friends list to transfer back and forth. Just that also, cross play. the blockchain fixes this. I'm not saying that I'm the last person on Crypto Island now. And now that everyone else is running from it, I'm going to die on this hill alone. But the blockchain does fix this, just saying. So I think those are my concerns. You, okay. I-
2: Look, uh, uh, historically on the VergeCast, I have assigned Dieter many articles <laughs> based on throwaway comments. Richard, welcome to your role as filling in for David while he's out in parental leave. You got to write the gamers, the gamers bill of rights. Like what should the FTC ask for from a gamer's perspective yes. <laughs> to make this deal go through?
3: Get really nuanced about the skins you want to see.
4: <laughs> a gamer's demand. You should never have to pay for a recolor again ever. If, if, if it's not a new, completely new design, then you can't sell it. it. I should be able to get whatever colors I want. I'm just saying, this is great. We got to, we got to do this. If you have ideas
2: for Richard, you can tweet it in. You can email him. Uh, we're gonna put this together. We'll send it to the FTC. Yeah, I'm never getting an FTC official on the on decoder again. Like it's never gonna happen. I think they'll
3: see this and be like, oh, they get it. They
2: get it. This is why we put it in an administrative law court. Look, I'm saying this is a generationally important antitrust case. Like, if they get this one through, it what it will signal is if the FCC wins this, let me say it. If the FCC wins this and they mm-hmm. block this deal, it will signal competition law in the United States is changing. If they lose it, it means either someone promised Lena Khan control or interop, which maybe that's all <laughs> we need. Uh, or it means that, like, we live to fight another day. Yeah. Right? And I will say that in this lame duck period of Congress – the big antitrust bills are on the floor. There's a lot of m- momentum around them, particularly the App Store interoperability bill. Like, there's, there's stuff. The Digital Markets Act, like all this stuff. There's more antitrust noise yeah. happening right now than has happened in a while. This lawsuit's a piece of it. The meta Supernatural case, which, again, is very small compared to the Activision deal. But it, it, it is a signal of where the government wants to apply pressure. And then there are the bills in Congress. So we'll see.
3: We'll see. And, I mean, other things we saw this week we should probably talk about, kind of related. I'm going to I'm gonna go all the way back to how we talked about the EU is also suing. They're
2: just nuts, man. They're just like eating cheese and being I, like, we got ideas.
3: We got ideas, and you will do them, including Apple. You will have USB-C on your phones, and they set a deadline for that this week.
2: December 28th, 2024.
3: Yeah. So by December 28th, 2024— you will have new phones with USB-C for wired charging, so, including iPhones, theoretically.
2: I, can I just say something about this? Okay. Oh, sorry. It, they're Europeans. They can't help <laughs> themselves. Like, the EU is so needlessly complicated. Yeah. And we have an amazing international team that is mostly based in Europe. You just heard from James. John Porter is our uh, reporter who's been working on this story. Yeah. And, like, he has basically written a version of the headline European Union mandates USB C for phones 500 times over and the And we past make five him do years. it again. And we make him do it again and again. Mostly because it's like interesting. We should track the story. We have a responsibility as journalists yeah. to accurately convey. And also because it's traffic gold. Like people see this headline, they lose their minds. Like, <laughs> how can time. I click on this twice? <laughs> and it's like, guys, we've Just written this story like every it. other week for five years. So he's, he writes, he's excited. I'm yeah. like, We finally have a final official deadline for when new phones sold in the European Union, including future iPhones, will have to use USB-C in December 20, 2024. The next paragraph. The new rules will officially enter into force in 20 days times, and individual EU member states will then have a maximum of 24 months to write national laws. No, It's like, oh, this still hasn't
3: happened, is it? We have to make him do one for every single country. (laughs) Luxembourg. John, we have to know what Luxembourg voted on. It's like, oh man, this still hasn't happened. It hasn't happened in Belgium. All right, it's done. <laughs> it's like, all right. This is just like fully ridiculous. He's got like a map in his house. It's like
2: somewhere someone in the EU like runs like a like a traffic bait website and they're like, <laughs> let's stretch it out. Like we know people love this story. Just is another as 24 we can. months of USB C iPhone clicks. <laughs> So good. It's good. So uh, that's the date. That's, that's this implies this sort of twenty twenty five iPhone
3: the iPhone sixteen. Uh, well, because it says all new phones have to be using it by twenty twenty four. So that's not So, this yeah, so year the
2: iPhone that gets announced in twenty twenty
3: four will have to be USB C. So
2: right now we're on the fourteen, which is the iPhone that was announced
3: twenty twenty two. Yeah. So. 15 is 2023. And then 16 is 2024. So this will be the iPhone 16. Should theoretically be USB-C unless they decide to be like, you know what, EU? You don't get a phone this year. (laughs) That would be amazing. (laughs) Never mind.
2: We'll see. Importantly, uh, you might recall that the UK is no longer in the European (laughs) Union. Uh, Notably, the United States is not. Um, I don't believe China is in the European Union. All uh, gigantic markets for Apple.
3: Unclear if China's in the European region.
2: I'm not a geologist. Yeah.
3: <laughs> 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 Who knows what kind of rocks they got going I'm on so over sorry. there?
2: That's <laughs> been a long one. And also I think James is drinking beer rubbed off of me. <laughs> uh, but I would say those are giant markets for Apple. Yeah. They could make. Lightning iPhones (laughs) and USB-C
3: iPhones. We don't know what they're going to do. Just that one. They they released like 500 of them, limited edition in Germany. And in Brazil,
4: they still have to put the charger in the box.
2: That's true. Um, I got a real taste of careful what you wish for last Mm -hmm. week. Uh, So I went home for Thanksgiving. Yeah. You know, did the turn motion smoothing off on all the TVs. First thing. Uh, You know, ran around fixing stuff at my parents' house. Bought them the new Apple TV remotes. Yeah. So they had the old black ones. They were
3: horrible. Whatever. Do they got also have Scotch anyone. tape on theirs like my mom does?
2: It's a long story. My parents finally shut down their AT&T U-verse cable boxes. <gasps> <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's a five-year victory. If you've been listening, you know, I've been working on this for five years. And they switched to the cable company. Now they're doing all their TV through the Apple TV. got rid of the cable boxes. Consolidated three Buy the new remotes. Yeah. spot new remotes. Just went to Best Buy. Pulled three of them off the shelf. Came home. Set them up. Off we go. Little do I know that I bought two of the older Lightning remotes. <laughs> And one of the new USB-C remotes. No. So I get this is the most bizarre text from my dad, who's like, "I'm using the kitchen TV. Is the plug different?" And like, just out of context, they're like, "What are you talking about? Like, is the plug in the Did wall? You buy a new like, TV why from are you Europe? Plugging the TV? Like, just leave it. Let's stop it." <laughs> so I'm like, "What do you mean?" And he's like, "The plugs for the other two rooms work fine, but this one doesn't." And it's like, yeah, you know, it's like I'm at work. I'm like different plan. I'm like, just call me, send me a picture. And he sends me a picture of the bottom room. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> like, this is I asked for this. I asked yeah. for everything to be USB C and now there's one USB-C Apple device in my parents' house. Just one. And it is just like the crime of the century.
3: <laughs> Did you try to explain to him they could use their phone as a remote? Because it no, doesn't no, no, work. Absolutely not.
2: Um I told them that they could plug in this. When I say this is like a galaxy brain moment, I was like, just use the charger from your Chromebook and Whoa. they plugged it in their remote. And they're like, will, will it explode? Because <laughs> you're just like, not, you're not supposed to do this. Benson Leung has a
4: lot of evidence that that might happen. I'm just saying.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but it was, I was like, oh God, I asked, I asked for this. You did. I was like, Apple, make it all USB C. And I'm like, one out of three. <laughs>
3: That's what's going to happen with the iPhones. You're going to get both of them iPhones. And for some reason, one will be (laughs) USB-C and the other will not. It's just dealer's choice. Dad, you can charge with the Chromebook. Mom, you have to go find the remote. Yeah. All right. Other stuff. Richard, what's going on
2: with Elon this week? I feel like it's a – we could go the entire show without talking about Elon and Twitter.
3: Speedrun
4: it. Go. Not nearly as much as there has been before. Everyone else is trying to build their own Twitter. Uh, People who used to work for Twitter – Other tech engineers, uh, Tumblr, of course, Alex is always ready to be the new Twitter. Uh, They're ready. And so if if you're looking for a better Twitter, there are options. I went back to Black Planet. I've had that account for 20 years. I'm never leaving. (laughs) 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 Meanwhile, at Twitter, Elon still somehow needs to try and make money from the company that he now owns. And his plan is this Twitter blue subscription that he thinks everyone will pay for to be verified and to make sure that your tweets actually show up so that people can see them. The latest thing that we've heard is that if you purchase this from your iPhone, it might cost more, uh, that it would cost seven dollars per month if you subscribe on the Web or eleven dollars via the iOS app. And one has mentioned Google Play, I guess it doesn't really matter. Aww. But, you know, getting around the, the Apple uh, commission that way. And that was the whole battle and back and forth that they had that culminated with Elon going to see Tim Cook and reaching some kind of agreement. So m- maybe so, this is the, the outcome of that. So the public
2: facts of this agreement are now, I think, well known. So Apple had pulled back on its advertising spend like most big companies had done right. because they didn't know about the trust. And they and were safety the biggest
3: issue. advertiser. And they were the
2: biggest advertiser. Um Alex Heath has pointed this out. Apple spends no money on Meta. Just none. So no Instagram, no which makes sense. They don't like each
0: other.
3: Yeah.
2: So where's that money gonna go? It has gone to Twitter. So Apple is one of Twitter's biggest accounts. So Apple pulls back their advertising. Elon tweets, don't you support free speech in America? Then there's this weird issue which we still kind of don't understand. Where Apple's like, you've got to comply with our moderation rules for the App Store, or we're going to pull you. Or they just remind, as they often do mafia style.
3: They just sat there with a baseball bat.
2: And they just drove up in, in their front hand. of the store holding a rock. And they're like, boy, those windows. It would sure
3: be a shame. <laughs> Wouldn't want anything to happen to them.
2: So Elon gets mad.
3: Tim Cook summons Elon.
2: <laughs> oh, and, and Elon gets mad about the 30% tax.
3: Yeah. Yeah. she
2: he's been mad about for a while.
3: He suddenly discovered, he was like, guys, I have brand new information. <laughs> There's a 30% uh, tax.
2: But We talked about this last week, a bunch of Republican Congress people get all up in arms. Antitrust bill becomes a threat. Mm-hmm. Tim Cook summons Elon like, cool it. to the spaceship. We don't know what the deal was. Yeah, He leaves. But now it's publicly revealed. Apple's ad spending has gone back up. And Elon has agreed to up the price of Twitter Blue on iOS 30%. So it's like, oh, you just, Apple's paying you the money in ads, and then you're going to pay it back to them in App Store fees. <laughs> that is the deal that the, the most genius business people of our they time did it. have constructed. You
3: nailed it. Here's
2: what we're going to do We're going to start advertising on Twitter again, to increase your revenue. And then when you launch your paid product, which you want to be 50% of Twitter's revenue, 30% of that will come right back to the old spaceship. Yep. Tim's like, all right, you good? I've got to go do some supply chain stuff. And <laughs> Elon left. Like that appears to be the deal. Yeah. That is all. And that the advertising information is directly from Elon. We will see what the price of Twitter Blue is when it comes out, but all indications are when it returns. When it returns. But all indications are it will be priced at 30% above the web price to account for that fee. And as we all know, most things Apple collects that fee because most <laughs> of the money is made on the phone. Yeah. A beautiful
3: circle. I love it. Like it's as beautiful a circle as the spaceship itself. I'm sorry. (laughs) You did it. I did it.
0: The modern economy You know what?
3: Let's let's talk about Apple some more. Let's 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 get away from talking about Oh, there's good Apple stuff. There's good Apple stuff. Yeah. We got so Apple announced a bunch of encryption stuff this week, right? Richard, I think you were watching it like in it in the weeds on this.
4: Yes, this was a bit of a surprise, but it is major, major news. And, and I'm not sure if everyone, when you see this, if you understand exactly how big this is, um, but a lot of the people who pay attention to security and privacy on our devices on the internet see this as one of the, the biggest announcements that, that they'll hear, I guess, around this time of the year. What Apple has done is that they, they've announced a number of security announcements. And one of the most uh, impactful ones is an optional program that they're calling Advanced Data Protection. And if you opt into it, Then it expands the number of data categories, uh, as they they call them, that are protected by end-to-end encryption. And they've always talked about how they have end-to-end encryption on a lot of things so that no one can really spy on your data. Even on Apple's end, if the government asks them to give it up, they can't because they don't have access to it. It can only be decrypted on your device. Right. But that did not apply to iPhone backups. So while something like iMessage might be encrypted end-to-end, and they, they kept saying that it is, If you or the person you're messaging has a a backup of their iPhone that is then uploaded to the iCloud servers, if, for example, if somehow someone accessed your account or if they got a warrant from the government to access it, they could simply access the unencrypted data very easily. Right. And that won't be possible anymore once this uh, rolls out, because, you know, your iPhone backups will will be one of the categories that are now protected by encryption, which is just a very significant change and one that the FBI now that this has been announced and said that they are not happy about uh Yeah. Pretty, rather predictably.
2: Apple famously fought a huge battle with the FBI in 2016. This the
3: San Bernardino uh, shootings, yeah. right? Around unlocking
2: yes. the shooter's phone. The FBI has wanted a backdoor in encryption. Apple has famously said no. Uh, the most interesting turn of this story, which we need to learn more about, is uh, was it last year? Were they Earlier they, this year? The CSAM thing? The CSAM thing. Apple that was announced last year. it was last year.
4: Yeah, late late last year they announced these changes to CSAM where it would if you were backing up a photo on iCloud Photos, it would then scan the photo while it's still on your device, not on Apple's in, not on the servers, and you know kind of create a, a hash, a hash of it, and try to match that to known child sexual abuse imagery. And alert someone if it finds. And out.
3: everybody was mad and about it. And
4: no, and yeah, privacy, security. Everyone was very upset about this because it's kind of a. It, a, it's a slippery slope. Now you're doing scanning on people's personal devices. B, if those hashes, if someone somehow gets something into the database, that's like we're looking for government documents. You know, now it's suddenly your phone is leaking that information. There, there are a number of bad outcomes here. And now Apple has has said that that program is dead. They're not going to do it.
2: Yeah, and I. I think longtime listeners of this show will recall Apple was real shady about all of that when it rolled it out. They rolled yeah. it out. It wouldn't tell us who the researchers were. All of its communications were like unsourced. They're like, just enjoy it. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. Just like, shut up. And they were holding these briefings without telling anybody who anybody was talking to. Yeah. And they had basically courted all this controversy. And then they said, we're putting it on pause. And the trade off, I, I want to be clear, the trade off that Apple was trying to make. On paper was a good trade-off, which is we want to protect your data as much as we can. We want to keep the government and the cops out of our servers. We want to protect your privacy, but we know that bad people do bad things. And the category of bad things that everybody agrees on without any shadow of a doubt is CSAM. So we're going to build in a, a somehow privacy respecting feature that scans your phone for this material before it hits our servers. And that that way we can encrypt what's on the servers. We can encrypt iCloud. Yeah. Because Google, Microsoft, every other cloud service is scanning their data stores for CSAM. Right. They're all doing it. Like, And they should. <laughs> like, you know, Everyone agrees that this is a bad thing. Apple's like, we want to go one step farther and encrypt the backup so we can't read it. Because our other choice is to do whatever everyone else does and scan iCloud. Yeah. So they're like, okay, we'll move this scanning to your phone. And again, on paper, this trade-off makes some kind of sense.
3: Yeah, I think in a vacuum, I think like if you're sitting in a room with a bunch of people who've been working on this problem for years, which I assume was happening at Apple, you say this and you go, yes, awesome, perfect. And then they didn't actually check with anyone else until right before. I think they like they reached out to the EFF and a couple other folks right before they were going to do it. And they're like, we're going to do this. And they were all like, cool. Yeah. You waited way too late. This is a terrible plan, and everything about it is bad. Because you are still create fundamentally creating a backdoor into people's devices, and anybody with access to this database can really misappropriate it and use it.
2: Yeah. And we have episodes of decoder and a like in the controversy yeah, we, of why it was bad. But that was the trade off, right? Right. Everyone assumed that Apple was rolling out the scanning feature so they could get to the desired end state of encrypted iCloud. Yeah. It's a year later, they've rolled out encrypted iCloud, and they are canceling the phone scanning, which is utterly fascinating to me.
3: And they also added another thing, which I thought was really interesting, because one of the responses to this was, well, if you create this database that is, like, managed by the government, then other governments can misuse misuse this database. And one of the things they also announced this week was... Like, they claim that iMessage can possibly alert you if state-sponsored spies are eavesdropping on you. And it's like, okay, so y'all just went hard in the other direction yeah. to say, nah, fuck the police.
2: <laughs> good. Basically, that's Tim Cook. Yeah, that's when Tim I Cook. When I think of Tim Cook, I think of uh, the a man saying, fuck the police. Yeah,
3: immediately. First thing I think <laughs> of. But that was, like, kind of surprising to me that they went that hard in the other direction. And I, I keep thinking about, like, a lot of these conversations we had last year about this was about China and specifically how China could potentially use this database. And now, like, we know. So
2: Joanna Stern at The Wall Street Journal, mm-hmm. notable Verge expat, Joanna yes. Stern. Lovely. Our mole at The Wall Street Journal. Yeah. Uh, you know, the at, at The Journal, they're always detecting that they have a, they have a leaker. <laughs> um, the Verge has infiltrated us once again. But Joanna Stern uh, got the big exclusive with Craig Federighi. You should go watch her video with him. She asked him a question about China and – our man just deferred. Yeah. Did not answer the question about whether iCloud backups in China would be encrypted. In China, the government, the Chinese government, effectively controls the iCloud data centers. Yes. So Apple always kind of making its concessions for the – I've been told China is not in the EU. But um, <laughs> always making concessions for its large market. Obviously, there's a lot going on in China recently. We've not talked about it in the show very much. There are large-scale protests about COVID, lockdowns. There are protests at the Foxconn factories where Apple makes the phones, or Apple production slowdowns for its phones. Yep,
3: uh, just quite
2: a lot going on. In and China. you've
3: seen, you've also seen Apple make some really deliberate attempts to move away from from China, particularly in the in, in manufacturing. They've asked Foxconn, they've asked these other manufacturers they work with to move to get out of there, to like go to India, to to go to I think Arizona. Arizona. Yes, speaking of. And they're asking them to move to these other places. And I'm going to use that as a segue to talk well about done. Arizona. Thank you, Richard. You laid that up for me. Because the other big news this week from Apple was that they're going to start making chips for iPhones in Arizona, these new fabs that TSMC just opened.
2: Yeah, so TSMC. I want to give TSMC credit here. Yes, is the person who has dunked on Foxconn law, lying to the people of Wisconsin the most. <laughs> they did not build a big group. years. They did not. TSMC took a bunch of tax subsidies, lobbied their way into the Chips Act, which is going into effect, and they have actually built FABs <laughs> in Arizona. The FABs are going to start producing chips in 2024. Mm-hmm. The ceremony that we saw with AMD, NVIDIA, Tim Cook, Biden, they're all there was the installation of fab equipment. It was not golden shovels. I love it. Amazing. And they're going to add a second site in 2026. (laughs) Liam looks so happy. (laughs) So just congrats to TSMC for doing a thing they said they were going to do. Yeah. And they're going to do it. And so uh, Tim Cook has promised that the chips, they're going to make M series and A series chips there. AMD and NVIDIA are going to build chips there. It's like a three nanometer node.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is like, this is the stuff that's really hard to make. You know, Intel has Intel's trying to get their own fabs online so that they can jump into this space. But TSMC kind of owns the market on these really small nodes. And and so this is this is big news because we haven't had a node this small built in the United States in a while. It's primarily been built in Taiwan. And I'm going to be really like it should create jobs. Theoretically, it should make that like the CHIPS Act make more sense and and suddenly, you're, instead of, like, having to, like, Intel will have a new resources for hiring, right? Yeah. If this, TMCS, if this TSMC fab goes online.
2: It's cool news. We sent a reporter named Andy Bly down to cover it, took photos, the whole thing, go read that report. They actually did it.
3: Yeah, they did now, it. Now,
2: is it as fun to cover as an empty dome and lies? Less, so. will More see. important to the global economy. From yes. a
4: content perspective, it was pretty much <laughs> a, a, a failure. I, I think we I'm can like, say where's that. your
2: dome, bro?
3: Yeah, failure uh, of content, but you know. We're, but before we,
4: we get off of Apple, I, I do want yeah. to mention they they made other security announcements. Like you can use, you'll be able to use hardware keys uh, to secure your iCloud account. You'll be able to do this kind of key verification, uh, which uh, you're referencing, Alex, that that will uh, enable that or potentially enable yeah. that uh, ability to see if someone's trying to spy on your. A conversation that makes it a lot more like signal or like using PGP and email or something like that. So there there are other there are also other uh, important security announcements that they made that, that are, are there. And they also made a, a very strange change. They're going to roll out globally this change that rolled out in China during the protests, where when you turn on AirDrop, uh, I think to receive files, you'll only be able mm-hmm. to do it for 10 minutes, which makes it a little bit harder to use this strategy that people have been using to distribute you know, information that the government doesn't want
3: it to get passed around. I just share gritty photos. Oh, my God. That's it. We were
2: we're so we're yeah, already We, over. we, we, we got gotta, we gotta gotta cut to break. We got we got <laughs> his mind back here. Don't be nice to Liam. Everyone be nice. There's to no Liam. clock this time. There's just a sense of shame that pervades <laughs> this room because we are at 90 <laughs> minutes already. And we have another second. We're having ago. a great time. We're going to be right back. We got a gadget lightning around. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. This is going to be a lightning gadget.
3: Lightning right? of lightning rounds. It's lightning. all right. There wasn't a lot of gadgets this week. Go for it. Okay. So first up, this is my favorite thing ever released in the history of the world. Huawei's latest smartwatch. <laughs> this is so tough. Has earbuds in it. So you can be like, oh, I got to listen to this call and just go boop and flip the, the top is of this your a smartwatch. S- this is just a
2: digital watch. It's, <laughs> it's not a smartwatch. This is a black and white segment LCD display. You know, it's got weather.
3: It's got a heart rate. I'm calling it smart.
2: It's smart. No, no, no. That's just a face. That's just a face. And what
3: is smarter than having built-in earbuds? Wireless earbuds that you can just pop out, (laughs) stick in your ear. They announced it on on Weibo, which is a Chinese network. And they're called the Huawei WatchBuds. They've already launched, just not in America.
2: Wait. Okay. First of all, WatchBuds is an incredible name. Second... Why would they demo this with this face that's like a 1982 Casio segmented? Because it's sick. I, mean, I will admit they got me. Because because
4: they know that I'm the person. <laughs> <who works.
3: laughs> Richard, have you already imported and it? And
4: directly at me. They, they were like, yes. They, they, they knew who they were. Right, can bought. we
2: talk about the most important gadget of the week, which is the $950 Dyson <laughs> combo platter, <laughs> headphones, and air purifier, like,
3: mask? Liam and I immediately looked. V song was in the office today, and we looked at her and we are like, you're getting it, right? She's like, I'm going to try. I want nothing to be reviewed more. Okay. My this.
2: favorite kinds of companies in the world uh-huh. are companies that have like one piece of technology and they're like, what can we do with it? Dyson's like wind. Yeah. Dyson's like, here's what we did. We made a fan.
3: Sick ass fan. The fan
2: can both suck and blow. <laughs> and for like 10 years, so like, we're deeply focused on suck. Yeah. Like what have you guys seen our vacuums? That's just a fan going this way, and then kind of like what if recently the fan
3: went the other way.
2: Like, Switch that motherfucker to blow
3: the reverse, like, baby. And they're like, "Here's the fan. Here's the hairdryer." I used it today before the show. It's, it's great, like
2: incredible. That they're like, "Here's what we do: fans." They for a minute they're like, "We're gonna do cars," and then I think they realized like. Cars don't run on fans. They're like, well, that's not a climate control fan. Does anyone know how to do any
3: other part of the car? They should start doing the hover. The hover They bokeens. should hovercraft.
2: <laughs> and now they're like, all right, what's what can we put a fan into? And they're like, headphones. And someone, like It has to be. There was a meeting where they're like, what else can we put fans into? The car didn't work. We need an idea.
3: And you know what's really sad? Party speakers were right, <laughs> right there. there.
2: <laughs> they're right coming. There. And someone was like, I got it. Headphones. Headphones. And there was a blank stare in the room, and they're like, you just wait and see. But
3: with a mask on the front. And it's,
2: <laughs> I mean, you just have to see it. I'm buying these so much. <laughs> <laughs>
3: You're going to spend $949? The best
2: problem with them is that they're vaporware.
3: <laughs> yes. I'm sorry.
2: The best part of them is that they're
3: vaporware says it says you'll be able to pre order. You can only. They were announced like a year ago. <laughs> but you can start pre ordering next year. Them <laughs> Not even there now. Next year, I I think that I think they've they've got a shot.
2: They're. I mean they're they're great. This is the only gadget worth buying. I'm just excited to see what else Dyson can put a fan into. <laughs> I mean the fact they were like we're going to do cars and then they're like. Mm. Not
3: enough fans. Not enough fans. <laughs> Our plan for it. a wind-powered car. <laughs> like air conditioners? Have you considered the air conditioner? No. No. They just they're like headphones.
2: Yeah, headphones.
3: This is it. What it's about shoes?
2: Shoes. <laughs> very good. Very good.
3: Uh, what else you got? All right. What else do we got? Uh, we I believe Allison did a review of the Amazon Echo Auto. <laughs> <laughs> I refused to say it the other way. Uh she wasn't a fan.
2: This thing still makes no sense to me. I yeah. don't know why you would want an Echo Auto. One
3: the of the car. bad things was Alexa isn't very helpful in a car because, yeah, Alexa isn't very helpful in a car. <laughs> There's no smart lights in a car to control. You can just hit a button to play music.
2: Well, so I think what they know is that people have a lot of ideas in cars while they're driving <laughs> around. Right, like Again, on paper, yeah. imagine the meeting. Yeah. Like, what do people want to do in their car? They want to play music. What is the number one use of Alexa? People ask for music. Yes. I don't know how many timers people set in their cars. <laughs> this is number two.
3: <laughs> Every time I'm trying to, like, make that, that, that get the miles, yeah. right, you know? I'm like, all right, set a timer. <laughs> set
2: a timer for five minutes. Then gun it. All right, fair. We're all I've different. I've never done that. You should start. <laughs> I'm going to. So, like, okay, people want to ask for music. We can add the thing for music. And then maybe when they're driving around, they'll be like, you should buy some paper towels. Oh, I forgot to buy paper towels. Alexa, buy some paper. Like you, you can
3: see the thought process. Yeah, and, and then, then they remember that nobody actually will ever do that. <laughs> it's a real problem. It's a real, like, it's just bad. I love like all of her her problems with it. Where it's like, yeah, Alexa's just stupid to have in a car. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they gotta add Chat GPT to
3: it. Yeah, or a, fan. <laughs>
4: or a fan. It's it's also like that weird Spotify thing in that you still pretty much need your phone. But you can just do this stuff with your but phone. But the yeah.
3: Spotify one, you can at least, like, Lar- connect to your computer and make a new controller. It had a knob. It had a knob. Yeah. So th- it had that. the knob. Put a knob on this, I bet it would have gone up to a 7. Allison would have loved it.
2: Anything then. with a giant rotary knob always wins for us. Anything. Okay, what are these watches? The Koros Apex 2?
3: Yeah, so V reviewed some some new multi-sport watches. She she liked them. They didn't have a knob on them, but she still gave them a 7 they're they're pretty expensive but i think the big thing here is that really good battery life they're they're really for runners they're really for people who are like they go outdoors i'm not familiar with these kinds of people so i can't say if this is a good purchase for people but victoria does in fact go outside on a regular basis and and she she seemed to like them
2: all right we got to talk about the symphonisk floor lamp
3: symphonisk
2: it's amazing that they just added legs to it and changed the shade <laughs>
3: What if it was I taller? I am
2: so ready to get these. Yeah. And just be like, everywhere in my home, there are tiny lamp speakers. <laughs> and I don't know why. I don't know why I feel this way.
3: Because you want your home to be like one of those really fancy rich people's homes where you're like, where's that music coming from? <laughs> or like when you go to the Apple it's these campus. It's lamps. And you're like, where is that? Is that music yeah. coming from a rock? Now it's your lamps.
2: So it's 260 bucks. The standard lamp speaker is $179. So it's an eighty dollar premium for some legs.
3: So you could just put it on something tall.
2: Yes, this is a choice that you have. Okay. I am very excited about just the idea. I I think the CES is going to be Richard. I, like Richard and I used to cover like see like we were it's in the gonna weeds be tall, of smart CES speakers, together speakers. gadget like back in the day. Yeah. Right. Like I remember like when Panasonic or like Pioneer and Panasonic would like demo plasma TVs to us. <laughs> like that's how Richard and I came up. Right, like, I remember the HD DVD Blu-ray format war that Richard and I covered together.
3: Aww.
4: And so, see. When we were on, I was on the plane on the way to CES <laughs> when they announced that it was over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not
2: over. We were like, We were, like, geared it's up to, like, this is the year of the format war. And they're like, uh, HD DVD is dead. They it's had gone. to tear down the booth at CES. <laughs> is a real thing that happened. Like, in the dead of night. While you all were there? Yeah, they were going to, it was going to be the year of the format war. And it between HDVD and, and Blu-ray. And Toshiba said, no, we're done.
4: And then Toshiba
3: just they were just up.
2: like They got there, they looked around, they're like, what if we just like hung out in Vegas? <laughs> and
3: they <laughs> tore the boots down. Same. Out, same. Honestly, same. <laughs> I do not judge you one bit, Toshiba. Since then,
2: there's not been a lot of drama at CS, I would say. But I, CS is always a TV show. Yep. I would say this is the year where I'm expecting to see like some interesting TVs mm-hmm. and a lot of like really wild, at like film theater ideas. It's yeah. coming.
3: I, I would like that.
2: And these like Sonos wireless rears as lamps is like, it's just the beginning. It's just <laughs> it's the drop. Sonos.
3: It works with Sonos, but it's Ikea lamps.
2: Yeah, yeah. They're out ahead of the flood.
3: Yeah. Like this is. Well, I think
4: what we're going to see is we, we've got these engineers who they, we obviously had the pandemic and everybody suddenly was stuck mm-hmm. at home. You have these engineers who are at their house all the time. The stuff that they built is finally coming. (laughs) It's going to get strange. Just roll with it. And
3: not a single one of them knows what a good lamp looks like. I'm just
2: saying this is like they're out ahead of the CES rush. They announced some stuff. You can't buy it now. It's not until January. So this isn't like stocking stuff or stuff. Although the idea of a a speaker lamp in your stocking (laughs) is incredible. What's Um, that
3: giant eight-foot-tall box in my – (laughs) Christmas.
2: What could it be? Um, So they're just out ahead of the flood. Yeah. And I'm telling you this is the first drop of CES – crazy it's coming it's
3: the speakers I'm the year
2: of the speakers in chat gpt uh richard do you know anything about this dgi mini 3 drone i'm in the market for another drone that i'll never use and this feels like it
4: i that that's the only thing i think about is buying drones that i never actually fly because i bought a dgi i don't even remember what the name of it is i have a phantom oh my boom. god you have wow. like,
2: like a phantom three or a phantom four
4: you're a yes. maniac. Uh, three, I, think. I,
2: I I bought a Phantom 4 that never I flew. I sold it when I had a kid. I was like, I got to get ready for this baby. And Becky's like, I've read on the house. And I was like, I sold the drone.
3: <laughs> That's the Verge equivalent of I got rid of the motorcycle. Exactly. For you. These fingers are safe now. I can pick up our child. <laughs> She's like, great. Are you going to help?
4: She's uh, like, and, I am and making now they the have child. have right. a drone that you can buy and... Never actually yeah. fly anywhere.
3: Well, this is an expensive drone though. 859. Yeah, but it's kinda
2: the remote has a screen. It's okay, a little guy. cool. I have the original mini, which uh-huh. is like just not quite good enough. Yeah. I'm sort of shocked that DJI is still selling stuff in the United States. Like remember, they were on the Euro Chinese company hit list for the long time. For the yes, time. because
3: this is a ch- DJI is a Chinese company, but they're also the only company that makes like good drones.
2: I'm just saying they're a Chinese company whose product is flying cameras. <laughs> Like of all the companies, were like, "Huh, this seems like a problem."
3: And the American government went, "Yeah, but I want to fly my drones." Yeah,
2: they're like, "Yes, but Hollywood needs these." Have you yeah. seen car commercials? What are we gonna do?
3: We can, like helicopters? Absolutely Stable not. Stable
2: diffusion. Uh, yeah.
3: we gotta wrap this up. It's
2: we we're so far over.
3: <laughs> I mean, wait. You important important news. Somebody just let me know that the Amazon Kindle Scribe is getting a software update. <laughs> So you will no longer just have to email files to yourself when you want to put them on the Scribe.
2: What can you do instead?
3: You can use an app.
2: Cool. I thought,
3: I, I know everybody was really concerned about this. I got a lot of emails. So that's, that's for you guys.
2: All right. A little scoop on the Vergecast for the Kindle Scribe community. <laughs> All four Excited you. for the Scribe blog. Yeah. <laughs> you, I, you know, back in the day, like, there would have been a dedicated gadget blog for the Kindle Scribe.
3: Yes, 100%. All the things you can do.
2: Bring it back. All right. That's it. Thanks to James Vincent for joining us. Thanks to Richard for joining us with David out on baby leave. I wonder if he had to sell his drone to have a baby. <laughs> that's really not how that connection worked, but that's how I'm going to start thinking about it. You'll be hearing a lot from Richard. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's it. That's oh, By the way, um, a bunch of cool stuff on the site this week. Uh, Liz has a big piece about FTX. Not what you would expect, though.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: The FTX store is broken by a really actually great crypto news outlet called Coindesk coindesk is owned by a crypto exchange Oof. so they might have just like knifed themselves great story about the politics of tech and journalism and crypto i mean it's like a perfect it's story.
4: wonderful but for the ftx story if you believe what the government might be accusing SBF of shooting yourself in the foot is kind of on brand <laughs>
2: we'll see what happens uh it's just very we'll, we'll see how that It's goes. very good there's actually a great week on the site go check it all out we'll be back on wednesday we did, uh, Alex and I talked to Charles Pullion more about winners and losers and streamings. We basically did the go 90 scale. Yeah. We thought we were going to go 30 minutes. We went 90, <laughs> which is perfect. Makes it's sense. It was beautiful. It was great. So we'll hear you. We'll see you on Wednesday. You can tweet at us. Alex is Alex H. Kranz. Richard is at RJCC. James is at JJVincent. I'm at Reckless. We love hearing from you for as long as Twitter is going to last. <laughs>
0: tweet at us. We love it. That's it. That's Rich Hester. Back and And that's a wrap for VergeCast this week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, subscribe in the podcast app of your choice or tell a friend. You can send us feedback at vergecast at theverge.com. This show is produced by me, Liam James, and our senior audio director, Andrew Marino. This episode was edited and mixed by Amanda Rose Smith. Our editorial director is Brooke Minters, and our executive producer is Eleanor Donovan. The VergeCast is a production of The Verge and Box Media Podcast Network. And that's it. We'll see you next week.